Allow me to add my word of welcome to you all as we are continuing in this journey through First and Second Peter in a series that we are calling Letters for Exiles, in which we're learning what does it mean to be people of faith in an uncertain world? How is it that we can bring things like hope and peace and joy into a world where there's so much fear, anxiety, and uncertainty? And as we learned last week, we are God's holy people. God has called us and chosen us as his own to live differently in the world, but that then raises a question for us, and that's, so what? What is our relationship with the world actually supposed to be? And that's really what Peter gets into in chapter two moving forward, is what is our relationship with the wider world around us? And this is a vitally important question for us because I think that there's a lot of confusion, especially within the church, about what our posture should be. There are really kind of two big buckets that I think most responses fall into. The first bucket is what I would call the holy huddle bucket, in which we think it's really just about grouping up and taking care of ourselves as Christians, not worrying about the world out there, but really focused on ourselves, our own households, our families, our own discipleship. The second uh, posture is what I would call the holy armies posture. This is the one in which we are trying to take back our society for Jesus through things like advocacy and politics, uh, advocating for our rights as communities of faith. But these two responses actually have the same view of the outside world. They both view the outside world as something hostile. For holy huddles, it's a hostile, dangerous world out there, so we just need to group up and protect ourselves and look inward. Likewise, for the holy army's approach, it's the outside world is dangerous, so we need to fight back and take control. Both of them have this adversarial posture toward the wider world. And the question is, is that really what the church is called to be? Because Peter shows us in chapter 2 of his first letter that we're called to something totally different toward a posture toward the world that recognizes, yes, our wider world is broken, but we, are in called, uh, but we are called to approach it from a posture of humility and grace, a posture that actually brings hope and transformation. And so to help us see how this kind of plays out, I want to go ahead and dive into chapter two together. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up with me to 1 Peter chapter two, or if you're using your scripture journals, you're going to find this on page 10 of your scripture journal. And I actually want to start in the very middle of our passage. The reason why is because ancient writers tended to ground their argument in the very center, uh, whereas nowadays we tend to either put our most important point at the beginning or at the end, they would put the most important piece right in the center. And so that's where I want to start in verses four and five. Here's what Peter says. He says, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of terms and phrases in just those two short verses. Peter's doing what I call Old Testament stacking here. He's using a lot of different themes and ideas from the Old Testament and just kind of layering them on top of one another at such a rate that it can be tempting for us as modern people to just get lost, to not know what he's talking about. And so what we have to do is we have to take a step back and say, what ties all of these ideas together? What is it that brings together living stones, spiritual house, holy priesthood, spiritual sacrifices? And the answer is the temple. He's talking about the temple, the Old Testament temple. 
this place where God's presence dwelt in the midst of his people. And this is important for us because in the ancient world, people believed that it was to temples that you would go to encounter the divine. And yet what we find as we really look at this theme of temple and the presence of God is that the Bible has a very, very different picture of what it means to be in relationship with God, with with the holy creator of the universe. It actually goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, where we don't find a temple. Rather, what we find is God is dwelling in his creation with his people. In the Garden of Eden, we read that he actually walked with them in the cool of the day. You see, what the Bible says is God doesn't want to dwell in houses built by human hands. He wants to dwell in relationship with people who are made in his image. He wants to live in what he's created with us in this loving relationship. The problem is, is that we rejected that relationship in favor of trying to rule the world on our own terms. And so that relationship was broken. And yet if you read through the entire Old Testament, what we find is God is constantly trying to move back into the neighborhood. We see this when he rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and he brings them through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And what does he tell them to do? He says, build me a tent, a tabernacle, so that I might dwell in the midst of my people. And then when they get to the promised land, they end up moving that tent into Jerusalem where then King David builds a temple where once more God's presence can dwell in the midst of his people. Yet over and over again, what we see is the people end up forgetting God and turning their backs on God. And so then uh, finally in Jesus, God does the ultimate move in. He actually becomes a human being and dwells with us. In fact, John chapter 1 puts it this way. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling in our midst. It's actually the Greek word for tabernacle. He pitched his tent. He moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us. And in Jesus, once more, God's presence is encountering his people, inviting them back into relationship. And then ultimately at Pentecost, what we see is after Jesus' resurrection, now the Holy Spirit of God descends not on a tent or a building, but on a community of people. God's presence, his spirit dwelling within them as they go out into the world. And in fact, that's the very language that Peter is picking up here. He says, you yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. He's saying that the, the, the calling of the church is to actually bring God's presence to the rest of the world. Because that's ultimately where the story is going. At the very end of the Bible, it actually says God's dwelling place is now in the midst of his people. The final picture is not that we leave earth and go up to heaven. It's that heaven comes down to earth and God once more dwells with those made in his image in his creation. And what Peter wants the church to understand, what he wants us to understand, is that our calling is to be the ones who bring God's presence to others to be the place where people encounter God through us. And this is so important because we live in a world that is desperate to encounter the divine. In fact, people are willing to spend thousands of dollars to go on retreats or to go to meditation centers just in the hopes of of finally connecting with something deeper. But the beautiful witness of this passage, the beautiful thing that Peter is saying is he's saying, it's really not that far away. 
I mean, imagine if God's presence were nothing more than a house away, an office away, a conversation away, a relationship away. That's how desperate God desires to enter back into relationship with us. He says, it's not about you spending thousands of dollars and, and, and tons of hours or energy trying to find me. It's about me coming to you through the presence of my people. That's our calling as the church is to bring God's presence to those around us. In fact, I love how the author James Davison Hunter puts it in his book, To Change the World. He says that the calling of the church is to bring the faithful presence of God to other people. Here's what he writes. He says, the very character of God and the heart of his world is that God is fully and faithfully present to us, pursuing us, identifying with us, offering us new life and sacrificially loving us. A theology of faithful presence is a theology of engagement in and with the world around us. Faithful presence in the world means that Christians are faithfully present and committed in their spheres of social influence, whatever they may be their families, their neighborhoods, voluntary activities, and places of work. Where power is exercised, therefore, it must conform to the way of Jesus, rooted in intimacy with the Father, rejecting the privileges of status, oriented by a self-giving compassion for the needs of others, and not only non-coercive toward those outside the community of faith, but committed indiscriminately to the good of all where prophetic witness becomes the net effect of a lived vision of the peace of God within every place and every sphere where Christians are present. Think about that for a second. What he's saying is he's saying that if you are a follower of Jesus, every place that your foot touches becomes holy ground. That every time you serve, you serve with the hands of Christ. And that when you speak, you are pointing others, other people to him. That wherever God's people go, God is present with them, encountering those around us. And he says, this is supposed to be our posture. In fact, that's what holy priests do. Priests pray for the, the people before God. They sacrifice on behalf of the people before God. They instruct the people about God because their desire is ultimately that the people would enter into relationship with God. And he's saying, that's who we're called to be. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we praying for our world? Are we praying for the people in our lives who don't know Jesus and desperately desiring that they would come to know him in his grace? Are we looking for opportunities to love and to, and to serve them unconditionally and compassionately, willing to sacrifice uh, of what we have for their good and for their benefit so that they might see through us the lengths of God's love? Are we entering into relationships with the world around us in a way that compassionately points them to the God of grace and mercy? That's our calling as the church. And I think that this is also part of the reason why it's hard for many of us. It's a high calling. And I think many Christians actually discount their calling to go and to make disciples. They, they discount their calling to bring God's holy presence largely because of their own past and their own history. There are many Christians that I know, the reason that they don't share their faith is because not only are they afraid they're going to be rejected by the people around them, but because they feel that they don't know enough. They feel that their background and their story is a liability and that if people really knew them, that they really wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. We have this idea that we somehow have to get our life together first before we can share about God and his grace. 
But actually what Peter says in this passage is the very opposite of that. I want you to listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, what Peter is saying is he's saying, actually, it's your story is the very basis of your witness and your testimony. He says it's, it's all about not getting your life together and proclaiming how you've fixed it all, but rather it's talking about how God in his mercy has entered in and transformed you from the inside out. It's out of your brokenness that your proclamation and your witness comes. He's saying that it's not about hiding our story or cleaning up our story, but being honest about our story and our shortcomings. I love that he actually uses a line from the prophet Hosea when he talks about us not being a people and not being a people, not having received mercy and not receiving mercy. Because the story of Hosea is about how God's people actually betrayed him, turned their backs on him, had fallen away from him into ways of, of brokenness and wickedness and injustice. And yet God in his mercy woos them back to himself with love and claims them as his own. Peter says our job is to proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, that's what our world needs to hear. We live in a world where, where people are constantly being told, well, God only helps those who help themselves, where we're being told that we have to clean up our act, that it's all on our shoulders to get our lives in order. And yet the message of the gospel is that God comes to people who can't get their lives together. God shows mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. God welcomes in those who are outcasts. Why? Because of his love and his grace. And Peter's saying, that's your story and that's the story that people need to hear. Because I can guarantee you there are people in your life who are going through some of the exact same things that you have gone through. And what they need to hear most is that they're not alone, that God is with them, that he loves them, and his desire is to bring transformation to them. And so don't keep that message to yourself. Be honest about your journey and your story. Share that with those around you. I mean, that's really how God has used my story. I was a person who had a lot of doubts and questions about faith who wondered if it was even reasonable to believe in a God. And yet, as I wrestled with those questions, ultimately God, through people around me, helped me to see that not only is he real, but he loves me and, and that I can be in relationship with him. And as a result, I, I love sitting down with people who are skeptical and who have questions because I know what it's like to be in their shoes and hopefully together to embrace that journey and to explore together and hopefully to help them see that that God loves them and has entered into this world to rescue them. You see, whatever your story is, that's exactly the story God wants to use to reach people around you. Peter says that, yeah, there, some rejection may come. That's actually what he talks about in verses 6 through 8. Is, is he says, yes, people re may reject you. Why? Because they, they rejected Jesus. But, and the reason why they do that is because honestly, Jesus' paradigm doesn't fit our world's paradigm. It's not the way of power or success. But Peter says, but when we live the way Jesus does, it creates opportunities for a whole new story to be told. And so don't be afraid of rejection. 
Simply proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light and let God do the rest. So how do we grow in that calling? Well, that really is the last thing that that Peter wants them to understand. This is the bookends around the center. I want you to listen to verses 1 through 3 and then verses 11 through 12 because they really form one single thought unit. He says, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. See, it's really one thought unit. He says, put off your old ways of living and be nourished in your relationship with God. Because as you're nourished by him, you can then point other people to him. I love that it's that basic image of a a nursing child. What he's saying is he's saying, you need to go back to basics. Oftentimes when it comes to spirituality, we think, you know, really spiritual people are the wise, the people who've graduated beyond the basics. But Peter says, no, it's about going back to basics, spending time in prayer and in God's word and in community because it's there that you're going to encounter him most. We don't really have to think too hard to see the truth of this. I mean, think about Olympic-level athletes for a moment. It's always funny when when they sit down for interviews after winning that gold medal and people are like, so what's your secret? How'd you do it? And they're like, well, you know, I, I, get, up, I get a good night's sleep and then I get up early and I stretch and uh, I eat healthy and I, I do my exercises and then I go to sleep early and I get up and I stretch and I do my exercises and eat healthy. It's just, it's basics, it's basics because that's, it's the basics that actually nourish us up into health and growth. And so what he's saying is he's saying, get back in touch with the God who loves you. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer because as you get to know him, you will become more and more like him. And then Peter basically says, and then as you become more and more like him, you will point more and more people to him. That's our calling, to spend time with God and then to take God's presence to others. To spend time with God and then to go with him in mission. To be the kind of people who who point others to the grace that God has shown us. That's our holy calling to be engaged with the world in a way that speaks to God's love, mercy, and compassion. And so it's toward that and I want to close in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that we who are not a people are now called your people. We who had not received mercy have now received mercy. And so Lord, help us to be your holy temple, the people who bring your presence into the places where we live, work, and play into the relationships of, with our coworkers and our friends and our family and our neighbors. Lord, nourish us in our relationship with you so that we can, out of the overflow of that, bring that to others and to invite them into relationship with you as well. Lord, help us to have eyes to see those that you desire to reach all around us and then help us to go with you to bring your love, grace, and mercy into the places and relationships where it's so desperately needed. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.